All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Full Cup. I'm Libby Switzer, your host, and I am sitting here with my sister, Rachel Waters, today. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Anything new? Happy to be back. The big magic marker line on your carpet is new. Yeah, yes, it is. It's thicker than a Sharpie. I have no idea what marker is that thick, but it goes the distance of my family room. Uh, And your lunch is new. Rachel brought in her lunch, which is a pre-cooked breakfast Jimmy Dean sausage. Just one. The pack is empty, but there's one in there, cold. And two hard-boiled eggs. So we are real glad you brought that in to eat. Thanks. (laughs) And she's got her Utah Ute shirt on. It is holy war today. Holy war. BYU versus Utah. Do you live in the state? No, no, I don't No. After my husband worked for the U for 11 years, that is the one game you want to avoid. Oh, okay. Yes. Rachel's Rachel went to probably every U game for 11 years Mm -hmm. because that was her husband's job. That was our livelihood. And although fun, um, I would say that this holy war does not bring out the best. No, in both sides of fans. <laughs> so sorry, every listener, <laughs> you've got some work to do. I didn't want to say anything, but <laughs> all right. Well, today we are going to be talking about depression. There's a lot to say and cover, but we're going to get started. Yes, I'm going to do like a mini intro, okay? Um, because I know this is something that my dad is going to talk on next week. And he has a lot of information to share. And the great thing about uh, the work that he and I do is they're very connected. And so I feel like that they can flow fluidly between each other. So where does depression come from? Uh, Well, it will go back to my same answer that I gave with anxiety. There are four different frameworks that create all of us that have an effect on who we are. Our biology, our psychology, our sociology, and our spirituality. Okay. Right, those four things create who we are. Our experiences in those areas, so it, can it can be biological down from your yep, hereditary genetics. It can be circumstantial from mm-hmm. what you're going through. Yes, it can be conditions in your environment. It can exist because of the stressors that you have going on in your life. It can be a psychological reason, spiritual reason, all types of reasons that people have depression. So the answer would be just it depends. Okay. Right. But before we get into that, I have had a lot of questions this past week with my clients of caregivers that are caring for people with depression. Oh, okay. And I wanted to answer some kind of questions or talk a little bit about that. And this can connect with all types of mental health challenges. Some are more difficult than others. But I've had the question a couple times this week of how to know how to support people without enabling behaviors when people are struggling with depression or with anxiety. Oftentimes parents feel like if they have expectations on children or if spouses have expectations on each other to those that are dealing with mental health challenges, that it's going to exacerbate the problem, that they are going to contribute to it. And so therefore they really withhold or withdraw from having any expectations or. No, I can see how that would happen. You don't want to Add to their workload or the whatever they're going through, you fear that you might make it worse. Yes. And fear, like we talked about the anxiety, I avoid fear as a motivator. I don't think that that's the good route to go. And so 
the advice that I give them is that I feel like as a society in general, we're becoming really vanilla about that. You have to- What do you mean vanilla? Safe. Where I see discomfort as a catalyst for change, Mm -hmm. it seems like as a society, we're doing everything we can to try to prevent discomfort. Yeah. We don't want to be offensive or hurtful, have a strong opinion. Yes. And although I am like an advocate for like social justice, I would say that there is beauty that comes in a wrestle. Mm -hmm. It means that I have to struggle and do some work to create insight. And if I never have to struggle, do I get... It goes back to dad. Do you exist? He always talks about if you don't have your choice, if you don't have these things, what are you? You're just sitting there not existing. Yes. And that's what I would say is vanilla. But now within reason, right? We don't look to create ways to condemn or to shame or to create crazy discomfort. But an example is um, if I have a spouse that's struggling with depression, how do I manage that without being frustrated? How do I have any sort of expectation without adding to the pressure of his depression? Well, first of all, we're all allowed to be to be human beings who have emotional responses. There's nothing wrong with saying, this is frustrating. Mm-hmm. This is hard. Validate that. Caregivers to people with mental health challenges, it can be very difficult. I shared in the previous podcast that I struggled with anxiety. I have a daughter that struggles with anxiety. I see clients that struggle with anxiety, but it doesn't mean that there aren't days that when my daughter comes to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exhausting. Even though I've been there, I Mm -hmm. get it. I understand, but I don't feel guilty for that. That's my human experience. That's my journey. It is difficult. And me wrestling with what to do with that and her wrestling with my response and what it means to her. I have people say, I don't want to do anything that creates anything that makes them feel bad because they already feel bad. And although noble, right, we want to be kind and supportive, it is okay. Well, let's go back to mirror and matching. Mirror and matching, as you guys discussed with dad, would be that my beliefs, my thoughts influence my cells, right? Mm -hmm. Cellular plasticity. The quick term would be the mirror and match. People can sense what I believe through how I feel. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can have an influence on people that are struggling without having to use words by how you choose to see and believe in their journey and their struggle. Mm-hmm. The avoidance of goals and expectations to me is mirroring this belief that they can't. People struggling with depression often already feel like they can't. So having another kind of voice behind them or a feeling that someone else may believe I can, Mm -hmm. can be comfortable. And if it's uncomfortable, then it can create a wrestle that can promote change. Yeah, that makes sense. I think of just as a kid, I remember having my mom, I'd hear her talk to other people about me and kind of put me on a pedestal and it made me want to live up to that pedestal. So... In a similar way, if she believed in, believed in me, I would want to validate her belief in me and live up to that expectation. Yes. Oftentimes, and I say this as a parent myself, parents want to prevent their children from the experiences that made them who they are. 
because they were difficult. Mm -hmm. Instead of recognizing their ability to move through that experience and exist and be okay and the strength that that took. Yeah. Applying that when you're caring for someone with mental health issues, it's okay to have goals and expectations is the point I'm trying to make. Knowing that your relationship isn't based on them achieving them, but for me, people ask all the time, how do you listen to stuff and not let it get to you? I have to find some sort of resolve in my mind at the end of the day that when I go home, I can release everything for me. And I would say how you do that as a caregiver is find meaning behind their journey so yeah. that the, the goal or expectation exists because you believe they can, but it's not going to stop me from moving forward if they aren't there yet and also be realistic about it. Sometimes if your goal is 100% and you see that that may not be where they can be, maybe 40% is where they can be, but you believe they can be to 40%, then you celebrate that and make sure that you celebrate them in their accomplishments, but you also celebrate yourself in learning how to be effective and your own way in dealing with those struggles. Because it is, it can be very challenging to be a caregiver of someone that is struggling with well, depression. I remember, and I'm trying to find on my phone, you posted this quote when you were in school on Facebook and it was taken from one of your textbooks and it just talked about how the people who have the struggle and who aren't rescued from it grow up to be something about when they're adults, they have better skills. Yeah. Well, that quote that I just said to you came from a textbook from oh, one of my school. I didn't know you said a quote. Well, I guess the statement that I yes. made was taken from a textbook that says parents often prevent their children from the experiences that made them who they are. Yeah. That came from a textbook. Okay. And it really resonated with me. Yeah. I remember it. I remember it resonated with me as well. Because Cross-stitched pillow. It kind of makes you think, oh, we're, we just want to fix everything. We mm -hmm. want to fix it. We want to make sure... They aren't worried and they're going to be okay at school and, you know, they're going to have someone to play with and they're going to get good grades and they, we just want them to be okay. And that is yeah. really not helping them. It's helping them to live a life that isn't a real life because right. there isn't a real life without a struggle and without right. growth and learning. And when you're rescued from it, you're going to grow up and man, Nobody's going to want to hire really you. Hard. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You know. And so the shift comes from instead of them wanting them and, and providing all of that, knowing that they have access and have the ability to find it. If they don't, is that certain thing important? Or how do we condition them to develop skills, mechanisms that will make that more attainable? But it doesn't mean if they don't have it, it's not going to be okay. I mean, I, I think of struggles that I've had in my life that, yeah, I would hope my kids wouldn't have. But actually, if they do, I'm the proof that gets to say you can because I did and you came from me. Mm -hmm. And celebrating those small successes. And I said this again before. Sorry, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot. But success isn't just rainbows and ponies. Success can be I'm 1%. I did 1% more. I made 1% change than I did yesterday. That's still movement. Which is so important to remember. Ingrain that in your brains, people. 1% more matters. 
it's a success. Celebrate it. I think in our society, expectations are just so, and, and on social media, when you're seeing this life that people might have and you're comparing yourself to that, that is really hard yeah to listen to yourself and to remember actually this isn't reality my reality is this and I'm doing a little bit better than I did yesterday and that is awesome right which is why I wanted to lead out with that before we get into depression is because a lot of people think success in depression just means I'm not sad anymore you know maybe success in depression was I was able to get out of bed today mm-hmm. or I was able to shower today things like that, that can be a success. If it, it taking the smaller steps makes that climb seem a lot easier than if I try to jump from the base to the tip of the mountain. Mm-hmm. I start by just small steps climbing. So cool. Okay. So moving on to depression, my dad is going to talk, he's going to go into that more in depth, but I wanted to talk a little bit kind of the intro in finding ways, things to do to kind of redirect those thoughts. You guys have talked about with him neural pathways, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he talks about them as deer trails. Yes, you send the deer down the same path; it gets deeper and deeper, engraved in the brain. Right. So you need to create new trails, new thoughts, new behaviors, new patterns. Yes. So I don't deer hunt, so I refer to them as hiking trails. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> that resonates a little better with me. The more energy, the more thought that you spend, the more times you go down a trail, like you said, deeper, wider, easier to find. If there's a trail that's existed because you've spent a lot of time there and you stop using it or use it less, it gives it time to grow in. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to get to a different spot, point A to point B, and there is no trail, it's not impossible. It's hard, but it's doable. But it means you have to start at the beginning and walk down that trail and do it over and over and over and invite more thoughts, more people to come with you so that it actually becomes accessible, visible, easier to access, right? Mm-hmm. That's how our brain works. So with depression, oftentimes our brains get stuck in a pattern of behavior. It's what I know. It's what I do. And this isn't a conscious decision, but I hear often people say, I don't like it, but it's familiar, So there's a level of comfort when you've spent a lot of time in depression, even though it's uncomfortable because it's a familiar feeling, there is some comfort there. That's interesting. I've never thought of that. Oh yeah. I had two clients that said that to me today. Dark is what I know. I don't like it, but I've existed there so long that it's almost like I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of seek it out because it is familiar. So what I wanted to talk about today are some ways to create new pathways when you're dealing with depression. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this, Libby. You are how old? 37. You baby. (laughs) No. That's awesome. 37. Okay. So think of a time in your life between the age of zero and 37. It doesn't have to be the pinnacle moment, just a moment. Hopefully you have more than one. But a time in your life when you remember feeling loved, valued, strong, courageous, important, hopeful, um, brave. Hmm. Can you think of a time in your life? Yeah, I think of junior high, which is so funny because (laughs) I know so many kids hate junior high. Oh, that's awesome then that you have that connection. Mm -hmm. Are you getting tears? Mm -hmm. Okay, I love that. (laughs) That is a good connection then. So tell me about 
a specific experience in junior high where you remember feeling loved, special, awesome, happy, joy? Um, I remember, well, I mean, generally I felt happy because I remember feeling very carefree and my like motto was that I just wanted to embrace being different than everyone else. And I wanted that to be like a cool thing. And you don't, you know, I, I didn't worry about what other people thought of me, which is, which is a big deal when you're 13 or 14. Um, specifically, (laughs) I'm thinking of, um, my sister's boyfriend from junior high, Johnny Robinson, dad. Uh-huh. I don't know his first name. John. Oh, there you go. Just like his sons, yeah. He was my school counselor. And he just, he made me feel special. And I don't know how or why or what he did, but he just had something that made me feel like he believed in me. And it was really cool because when you're that age, a lot of times adults don't give you the time of day, you know, but the, the flash that came to my memory was of us standing on the stairway at Battlefield Junior High and just walking past and just feeling really happy. And he walked past and spoke to me for a minute and I just walked away feeling on cloud nine. Okay. So let's go, let's revisit that. So you're walking, you're passing him on the stairs. Do you remember what time of day it was? Do you know if it was morning? It was, um, it was like lunchtime. Okay. Lunchtime. Do you remember who you were with? Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember this kid, I don't know his name, but he had long hair and, um, he used a lot of drugs and he was a cool kid. <laughs> okay. You were with him. Uh, we were just all kind of in the area. I wasn't there. I think he was walking by too. And he kind of talked to both of us. Okay. Do you remember what you were wearing? No. Do you remember what John Robinson was wearing? Uh, like a white shirt and a tie. Okay. And do you remember, did you hear anything else? Mm-mm. Okay. I don't even remember what he said. I just remember feeling really good. Okay. So when you say good, it was what? You felt what? Um, I felt special and important and like believed in. Okay. Okay. So if you were to label that feeling special, loved, believed in with a color, what would you call it? Yellow, of course. Yellow. Okay. Sunshine. So I would ask you, how often do you feel yellow day to day? Um, I would say like, I don't remember the last time. Okay. And Libby, this is why you're so good at podcasts because you're real. So I would tell you, as with someone with depression, that pathway needs to be started, grown, deepened, and widened. Okay. Now, the great thing about that is you just did it on your own. You remembered a time feeling loved special, important. You felt it. I can tell by the emotion and how you're responding that not only did you recall the memory, but part of you can feel what that felt like. So if I were to say to you, I want you every single day 
to find yellow. Yeah. What would that mean to you? Well, I don't know what I just think back on memories. So that's it. So yellow could be, does yellow exist in my life today? Maybe I had something and I thought, yes, this is yellow. Actually mark it, for, label it for what it is. This right now that I'm feeling is yellow. If you're engaged in something day to day or during the day and you feel that, I'm feeling yellow. But mm-hmm. if you don't, you do exactly what you just did through imagery and you go back and you exist in it and you grow it. Stay there as long as you can. I'll tell my clients every single day because we are building yellow is the opposite of depression, mm-hmm. right? But you controlled it yourself. You don't need me there to do it. So you decide in the morning when I'm trying to get out of bed or when I'm in the bathroom, when it's quiet without my kids, when I'm in the shower, when I can't sleep at night, I'm going to find yellow mm-hmm. and I'm going to exist in it. I'm going to remember what did it smell like in the hall? What was I wearing? Can I remember what would I have been wearing? What was my hair like? It's existing in the feeling to kickstart your ability to access it. Sometimes our brains get so stuck in a pattern, we forget what yellow even feels like. Yeah. And so we start to remind ourselves, this is what it feels like. And the more I start to remind myself, oftentimes the easier it is for me to start to be aware of it in my day-to-day life where I may not have felt it before. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, I'm just thinking, like, why haven't I felt it or what have I been doing? And it's not that I'm necessarily in a dark place, but I'm just here being a robot, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, making lunches. You know, when you spend time with your kids, that's always great and can be rewarding. It can also be the worst. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess it's kind of like anything. It takes work. Yes. Everything we talk about is, it sounds super easy. It's simple. It's not easy, right? It is work. But also what you're showing your mind is for that minute, for that 30 seconds, for that five minutes, I had choice over what I thought and what I felt. Mm -hmm. Depression takes that. People think I can't get out of it. And I will tell you, even if you for 30 seconds find yellow and it goes away and you go back to depression, for 30 seconds, there's your 1%. Mm-hmm. For 30 seconds, I was louder than my depression. Yeah, there's your victory. I was a victor for just a moment. Mm-hmm. And then I keep engaging in that. And it, it, if you have a history of depression for years, you're going to have a lot of work ahead of you. It's not impossible. It is doable, but it is work. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a hope. It's not like, boy, I hope I find yellow today. No, I have to make a decision to sit down or to wherever it is to think about what I'm going to think about what I'm going to access. It's also just a redirection of thought, Mm -hmm. which gets to say, I'm going to do something different than what my mind usually does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And so that would be the first thing that I talk to anyone who's experiencing depression is we go through that same experience, anchoring an experience to color and then seek that color. And you might, as you, are laying in bed thinking of yellow, you might go, you know what else was yellow? Yeah. Hopefully you can grow it mm-hmm. all over the place, but it's it's starting that kind of tipping point of, of changing the direction, of creating the new neural pathway. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. I like that. Any others? Okay. As you were discussing that interaction with John Robinson, mm-hmm. what I loved about that is that it goes back to that mirror and matching. You said, I don't know that he said anything, mm-hmm. but I felt it. Oh, yeah. 
right? Uh So what I believe probably was he had good feelings towards you Uh and, and, and existed in that to where you could feel it. Okay. Also, some people think, well, I create this yellow, but it's not real. I mean, I think about it and then it goes away. Mm-hmm. A lot of reality begins in fantasy and you exist in it if it's effective for you until it becomes part of your truth. I met this girl. I'm still friends with her, but her name's Heather Clark. The day I met her, I thought I have never in my life met anyone that smiles more than that girl. She smiles when she talks. She smiles when she cries. She smiles when she's listening. She smiles when she's mm-hmm. eating. I tend to have kind of more of a grumpy face. I think that's it's called resting bitch face. <laughs> yes. That may be like biological, a little psychological. R- RBS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I just remember talking to her and feeling like a million bucks. And not because she was treating me any different than she treated anyone else, but I thought, I'm going to smile. I'm going to start smiling more because that was awesome. Well, it wasn't something that I normally, I would say that I was consciously aware of. So when I started, you can imagine what I looked like. It was like, hey, (laughs) like it was this awkward, weird, probably didn't seem very genuine, Mm -hmm. but I stayed engaged with it long enough that I started to get responses. Like people would smile back and I'm like, oh my gosh, they saw me smile and they smiled back. This is effective for me. I like the way this makes me feel. So I stayed engaged in it enough to where it became a bigger part of my life. Now, I'm no Heather Clark. I wish I were. But I feel like I smile more just from having met her. And it wasn't part of my reality. Mm-hmm. It was fake. The, the phrase fake it till you make it, which people think is a cop out, not a cop out. Oh, if you exist in something and you realize that it has benefits that are effective for you, why not make it part of your reality, part of your mm-hmm. truth? So you engage in it enough till that becomes real. Yeah. And I also love that in this podcast, we've talked about a few people that have influenced us in our life. And it goes to show that mirror matching, how powerful we can be as tools in other people's lives in just existing in their goodness mm-hmm. and in loving them without even having to say a word. Yeah. There's something that's felt there. Literally, there's a science behind it, right? The cellular plasticity, look it up. Your, your cells are affected by your thoughts. I think it's Dan Siegel. Sounds, sounds right. <laughs> okay. Your thoughts influence your cells. Yeah. Right? And the energy, to me, that's the science behind energy. Energy is kind of a taboo word. People don't like to hear. Some people love it. Some people don't. But I love energy mixed with crystals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? No, Some people are really know. into that. I don't that. know anything about crystals, but I know a lot of people are. But okay, go on right, with yes. energy. Go so on. energy, but yellow, if you exist in yellow, how do you think that's going to influence your cells? Yeah. Your brain, which is the biological and the psychological part, your cells, the biological as well. And right. You talked about someone within your environment, your society, Mm -hmm. me as well. So all of those create experiences in who we are. And aren't we so grateful for those positive people that can just light up a room or make, you know, just help us want to be better people. And Hopefully sometimes we all have that in ourselves as well, but I'm just super grateful for the people who are like that. Yes. And so I will say this along that lines, parents who come in and say, my kids don't love themselves. They have a poor self-esteem. I start by saying, do you love yourself? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they're going to feel that yeah. if you don't love, you can tell them you're great. 
but if the energy they're feeling from you is that you're not great and they're part of you, that's a hard thing to overcome. Mm -hmm. So if you want your kids to love yourself themselves, love yourself. Well, who knew 45 minutes just went by, but thank you so much, Rachel, for filling in. And I believe listeners next week, we will have the the man, the myth and the legend, Craig W. Berthold, uh, hopefully back here next week. So thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week and uh, spread some yellow around. It doesn't cost a damn thing.